Father, thank you that there is a, a river from heaven to earth and back again. A flow of your presence that is awesome and glorious. Father, thank you that aid has spent time in that flow of your presence and with your word, forming him and informing him, changing him and, and uh, charging him with the gospel for today. So I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will be his strength, that you will be his wisdom, that he will know your presence as he brings us your word, I ask, for that flow of the Holy Spirit, and that we will all go in the same direction. Lord Jesus, in your name, I rebuke any, any, any obstacle that any of us would bring. Lord, may we lay those things right down now. I feel that the Lord wants us to actually put down that kind of any cynicism, any doubt, any weariness, any passivity, it doesn't have any room in the flow of God's word and God's presence. So let's put it down just now. We can leave it at the cross. It's not a big deal. It's all forgiven. Put it down and step into the wonderful flow of God's word. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. Time in the Word of God. Wonderful. I, there's something about this this Sunday after Halloween that I really like. Yeah. It's murky Halloween. I just I've always found it um, just such a murky day. Uh, and I was I was here till late last night. Just I just wanted to receive the last bit of what God wanted to say this morning. So I came in. And I spent yesterday evening here. Um, and I was just working up in the kids' own bee room, which is where I like to work sometimes. And on the way out, just to, to feel tunnel, it was murky out there. And I felt a bit sorry for some of the residents that live around here because it was very loud as well. It was just completely raucous. And then you wake up on this Sunday morning, and to me it just feels clean. It feels, it feels time to worship God. It feels like a new day. It feels it's time to get on with the business of the kingdom of God, and it's time to preach the gospel. And just get on with it, shining like stars in a crazy generation. Yeah. It's a wonderful day, it's a new day, and I believe that the God has been moving throughout yesterday, but he is moving afresh today. It's a new day, it's the Lord's day. So this morning, I want to continue our preaching series, which we're calling Devoted, and we're devoting ourselves to the teaching of the Apostles. So I've been trawling through the teaching of the apostles, and I've been asking God, Lord, what do you want to emphasize? What, what is being repeated uh, throughout the teaching of the apostles? And I, what I've really felt I've landed upon is the transformation in the life of a believer when a believer receives Christ. And what I've got for you today is, is seven areas where a believer is completely and utterly transformed at the moment they receive Christ. So it could be seven preachers out of this, easily. This could be a whole preaching series. So all I'm doing is touching on these seven areas. But it's so important to me that we are able to understand what God has done in us. The moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, what Jesus has done for us and what we can stand in, what we can walk in, what we can claim as our rights as Christians. Because actually it has an impact on how we live day to day. So I'm going to, these truths that I'm going to give you today, these seven areas, are, are, are razor sharp. They're truths that you can use to, 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 to make sure that you stand strong in your faith and to come against the enemy when he comes in the opposite spirit. So these are tools and and truths that I can give you today that you can throw at him whenever he comes knocking, okay? Because the transformation that God has procured in your life the moment you said yes to Jesus is enormous. It is, it is as much 
a metamorphosis of your soul as it is as a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's the word, the, the Greek word that God uses for transformation that, that is in the scriptures is metamorphosis. And it is like that. In the same way as a caterpillar starts sort of heavy and chubby and, uh, and eats leaves, all the things that caterpillars like to do, and they crawl, and then they go into the chrysalis and they come out as this butterfly. It is unrecognisable from the original state. It now has wings. It now is light. It is skinny. It doesn't eat leaves anymore. It eats nectar. It's a completely different beast. So are you. You lot, you are completely different beasts to the ones you were before you received Christ. And we may look the same on the outside, but inwardly we are completely different. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And we're going to be talking about the new things. We're going to talk about the contrasts, what we were, and now what we have become in Christ, and what Christ has done for us. And it, when I was looking at this, it is mind-boggling. But it is, it is throughout the, the teaching of the apostles. So I thought we, we can't do this series without looking at this new state and this complete transformation that Jesus has procured for us as believers. So we're going to do a tour throughout. Uh, have you got your Bibles? Hands up if you brought a Bible to church. Lift your Bible up. I want to see those Bibles. Lovely Bibles. Look at those. Doesn't count, Dave. Okay. <laughs> okay, we've got screens over there. Okay, have you all got access to a Bible or you're near Bible? You can share around, because we're going to do a lot of Bible today. We're going to be jumping around all over the place. Okay, the first one. We're going to do seven, okay? Seven mega shifts, seven transformations, seven ways that you have undergone metamorphosis from who you were on the inside to who you now are on the inside. Okay, first mega shift. Once... We were strangers to God. Now we are adopted into his family. That is a huge mega shift. Uh, turn to John chapter 1. We've got to go here first. Okay. John chapter 1. And verse 10. It said, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. So Jesus came with the purpose of giving the gift to people. Uh, bestowing the right to become children of God. But there's a condition here. If you want to receive, if you want to become a child of God, you have to receive him. Verse 12 says, as many as received him. Because the people of Israel didn't receive him. His own people rejected him, or most of them did. So they, they forfeited this privilege that he had come expressly to give them. He wanted to give them this privilege of becoming sons and daughters, but he was unable to do because they didn't receive him. But he says, as many who are willing to receive him, he was going to give them the right to become children of God. So before we received him, we were not his. We had nothing to do with each other, us and God. We were estranged. We were foreigners to God, if you like. And we have gone from being those who are completely estranged from God, even though he knew us and watched us and loved us. We had no connection at all, no relationship. We've gone from that point of being completely distant and having nothing to do with God to becoming the most intimate members of his family. He has brought us into his family in such a way that he's willing to share his name with us and everything he owns becomes ours. That is a phenomenal transformation. That happens the moment you receive Jesus into your life. As many as received him, they received the right 
to become children of God. Turn with me to Ephesians in chapter 1. Okay, I'm starting from verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. It says sons because it's sons that receive the full inheritance and the full rights of becoming a family member. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, summing up all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, all of it in him. He chose us in him, it says in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It says in verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. The bottom line is he wants to bestow the right for us to become his children as many as would receive him. He wants to give this right, and we're no longer slaves and foreigners. You see, this, this passage here, this includes everyone who is willing to receive. This whole idea of predestination, there's an awful lot of ink spilt on this subject of what it means, what it means for God to have chosen us. But if you look throughout this passage, this is how I interpret it. It's not that he chooses some and not others. He rejects some and he accepts others. Some people are born and destined, predestined, whether they like it or not, to a life of fellowship with God and eternal life and all of his blessing. And other people are predestined and chosen before we are born for destruction. That's how some people would interpret this. That's how St. Augustine would interpret this. I don't believe that. I believe that God has predestined that everyone who should receive Christ would become sons and daughters. Amen. That's what this passage means. He, verse 4, he chose us in him. Verse 5, he, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus. At the end of verse 6, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. And then verse 10, summing up all things in Christ. This, this is written in the aorist, in the Greek, which is, I cannot explain to you what that means, but it's basically like a, blu a blueprint. It's like standing back and looking at the big picture of what God's intention is. It's a snapshot of time. of saying, if you stand back and look at the whole thing, this is what God's plan is. He has pre-planned that everyone who would turn to Christ, who would receive Jesus, he has predestined that everyone who would do that would become sons and daughters. It's a wonderful thing. We are no longer... Anyone who would receive Jesus is no longer a foreigner. But we carry all the significance, all the belonging, all the inheritance that comes along with being a fully-fledged, adopted son or daughter of the living God. That is complete transformation. That is like black and white. On the outside, we're no different. On the inside, we are all different. We can now address God as Father. We can now say, I have a, I have a family. I have a God who knows my name. I have a future that is secure. I have a place in his purposes. He's willing to share his heart with me. I can know intimacy with God because I've been placed out from a place where I'm a foreigner and I've been placed into a family. And it's legal. I'm legally adopted by God. 
It's a wonderful thing. Everything is different. That's the first transformation. That is as different as a caterpillar is from a butterfly. You are a new person because of that. Second metamorphosis is in the area of our mortality. We have moved from death to life. We have passed out of the realm of death into the realm of life. Turn to Romans and chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. How black and white can we get? The wages of sin is death. Free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are either in the place of death, still in your sin, or you are in a place of life where you have received this free gift of God, where nothing in all creation, in heaven or under the earth, can separate you from the life that has been bestowed upon you. Paul is saying, before you received Jesus, the sin that you carried would result in death. But when you received Christ, the free gift of eternal life was yours in full. In an instant, there was a monumental transformation. Eternal lifetime of discovery of what that transformation means. It has tremendous significance. I sometimes think, you know when you pray a sinner's prayer, a sincere sinner's prayer with a new believer, somebody that wants to come to God in repentance and say, Lord, I want to give my life to you and I want to receive Jesus for the first time. I sometimes struggle to know how to just, what kind of conversation do you have after that moment? I kind of want to say, welcome to the family, and I want to, I want to, I want to just bless them, and I want to say thank you, and I want to say, what you've done is just extraordinary, but it's like they can't possibly fathom the impact of that moment. But at that moment, they have stepped out of death, out of the whole realm of death. The death has no more claim on their lives whatsoever, and they have received eternal life. In 10,000 years' time, they're going to look back and see what happened in that moment. And yet you're sharing the moment with them, yeah. At that time, how do you talk about that without freaking them out? Because <laughs> I get excited, but I almost think I can't get excited enough because if I knew what it meant, then I would probably be jumping around the room and being very un-English. <laughs> and it's a funny thing because I have this thing inside me that says, it's happened. This person has come to faith. And, but I, I, there's just a, there's, it's, it's too mind-blowing. There's a disconnect between appreciating what it means uh, and what, what has just happened. So it's just amazing. Turn with me to 1 John in chapter 2. This is going to be a feast of Scripture. If you don't know where these things are, fiddle about and look for them. It's worth working out your way around your Bible. But if, if you can't find it, just listen and don't worry about it. I'll read it out. Saying that, I'm now, I'm now trying to find one John. <laughs> there you go. 1 John chapter 2, starting from verse 17. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. And yet the one who does the will of God will live forever, live forever. So once we were part of this world that is passing away, you know, our old life is de was decaying, it was passing away. But when we received Jesus and we said, okay, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to be part of your life. I want to share in your life. I want to do your will. John says, at that point, you will live forever. That's a wonderful thing. And look at chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we've passed out of death 
and into life. There's the seismic shift. Passed out of death and into life. Because we love the brethren. And he who does not love still abides in death. That's interesting, isn't it? Life is evidenced by what is evoked within us. There are certain ways you can tell whether you've passed out of death and into life because you'll be different. You'll be different. John says here, there will be a love in you. When you've passed out of death and into life, there will be a love in you, especially for God's people. You're going to love your family because you're now sharing life with other people in the most profound way. This is massively significant. Now, for those of you who struggle with the idea and fear death and sickness, does any of you have anxieties about getting ill or untimely death? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, don't worry. But actually, this is, this is very significant. You have passed out of death and into life. Actually, death has no claim on you anymore. At all. You can't lose. You can pass out of this world earlier than you'd like. And you can, you can leave behind people that really wish you were still around. And that is significant. Death is significant for the people we leave behind. Yeah. But for you yourself, it is going to somewhere greater. It is a blessing. You will not taste death. You will go home. And it will be extraordinary for you. There is no fear in death anymore. There is no place for fear of death in our, in our lives anymore. Because it has nothing to do with you. Nothing whatsoever. You've passed out of death. You are now in the whole realm of life. And your life will go on and continue. And improve. You will be where he is. There's no room for fear. So when you approach sickness, and when, when the enemy comes knocking on your door, and tries to fill you with fear, that somehow you're going you're gonna to die, you can look at him in the eye and say, oh no, it, I'm going to pass out of this world, I'm going to go into the next one, and it's going to be wonderful. I'm looking forward to it, but until then, I'm going to get on with God's business, and I'm going to look after people around me. And I love the idea that, God, that my days are numbered. That God, I think sometimes things happen and people are taken. Wars happen. Sin happens. Circumstances just happen. You know, the devil has his work. Sometimes we lose people. But they're never lost eternally. Never. If they are in Christ. And we can pray and we can ask God that... Um, his will will be done. And there's something I pray for me, myself and my family. Lord, may the length of our days be exactly as you've ordained. Let nothing take us before your time. When it's your time, we're ready to come home. But until then, I want your protection. I want your angelic cover. I want my kids to be protected. I want everyone around me to be protected. I want my church to be protected. I want us to come home and your timing and nobody else's. Yeah. that's the only prayer I need to pray I don't need to pray Lord may I not die because I know I'm not, I'm not going to does that make sense yeah. it's a timing issue now because we passed out of death yeah. and into life next metamorphosis okay third transformation this is in our nature once we were carnal now we have become spiritual once we, we were under the desires of the flesh now we have, been, we have received the divine nature. When we received Christ, we received something of the purity and goodness and divinity of God deep within our spirits. And it's going to transform us from the inside out. Turn with me to Ephesians and chapter 4. And verse 22. Ephesians 4, verse 22, says this, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the, with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, 
and has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. When we received Christ, we received a completely new and different nature. We, were not, we are no longer as we were. When we received Jesus, at that moment, God imparted his nature to us. The old nature was predisposed to corruption and deception, it says in the word. We had a kind of leaning towards it. We were particularly susceptible towards it. We couldn't see things clearly. We were easily deceived. Our eyes were easily drawn to things that were of the whole area of corruption and deception. The new one is harmonious with the likeness of God himself. It says this new nature is in the likeness of God and is being created in righteousness and holiness in the truth. We have a new nature which leans into the beauty of life as God lives it. We have new appetites. We have new habits. There are ways that we are drawn to in our hearts which are different to what they were drawn to before we knew Christ. And we have a love for the good and pure and wonderful things of life. Turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Two Peter chapter one, verses three and four. Listen to this: His divine power has granted that, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You started over here, you're now over here. In that moment when you received Jesus, there was a stark contrast. There was a dramatic transformation that happened in your life. <clears throat> and absolutely wonderful things. So how much help can we expect from the new nature? Verse 3. He's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The new nature that you were given can impart to you everything you need for life and godliness. If we believe what God has promised, he in turn promises that we will share in his nature. We will habitually act more and more like he does. Now we receive that in a kind of embryonic way when we first receive Christ. Because sometimes, you know, if ever you've walked through those first stages with a new believer, you find that they become a Christian and then they're really surprised that they still sin sometimes. That, that happens. Sometimes people are a bit shocked. I thought I'd become a Christian now. I thought Jesus had come into my life. How come I, I still struggle with sin? And it can be a shock because you kind of expect that I'm different, I'm new, I've been cleaned, I've been empowered, I'm, I've started a new life. How come I'm still struggling in some ways? But you also find often that certain besetting sins, things that really tangle people up, are thrown off immediately. Because Jesus comes in and deals with some stuff straight away. And people are able to live differently. So in a way it's an embryo, in a way it is, everything is there, everything is different. The, the divine nature, the new self is there in totality. As soon as we receive Jesus, it just sometimes takes a while to flourish and take over. And that can, that's a lifetime that we see that spilling over into our lives. But you know what? We have escaped. We have escaped the corruption of this world, it says. So the next time you feel tempted and you're lusting after something, it doesn't matter what it is. Next time you feel like you're, you're just being drawn into the old self, just, just say to the enemy, just say, no, I've escaped. Yeah. I've escaped. I'm sorry, I've escaped. I have everything pertaining to life. And I've got Jesus' nature living within me, and so I don't need to do that, whatever it is. And if you've still got a problem, let's go to God together and take it up with him. Mm. You know. Because the, the devil knows that he can only pull strings on your old self. 
He can't touch your new self. He can only pull strings on the life that you've come from. And at that moment, you can claim, I'm not in that life anymore. I'm going to put off the old self. And I'm going to live in the new. Because Jesus has given me everything I need for life and godliness. So, it's a wonderful thing. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. like a, a race around the Bible. It says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One of my favourite verses. It's God who is at work in you. When you receive Christ, God entered your life in a profound way. God is at work in you. From the moment you receive Jesus, at that moment your soul set off on a completely new trajectory to become like Jesus. And he will never give up. In chapter 1 of Philippians, it says, He who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. You might have given up. You might have given up on, on becoming more like Jesus. But I tell you, God will never give up. He will never leave you where you are. His nature is always to take you from glory to glory. We know how frail and pathetic we can be sometimes when, we come, when we're trying to live well. And we find ourselves unable to change in some ways. We may be a bit pathetic about making ourselves more like Jesus, but God isn't. And God's the one that is at work in your life. For it is God who is at work within you. God has a vision for an even more beautiful you. You are not who you once were. You can see evidence already of that God's nature is in your life. You have already been transformed. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see the caterpillar. He sees the butterfly. When God looks at your life, he sees what you're becoming. He sees the Christ in you and the fullness of your character as he dreamed it would be when he created you. That's, what, that's the vision he's moving you towards. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, God is living in you. Why don't you turn to the person on the other side and say, God hasn't finished with you. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully, we're all under construction, which is wonderful. So just, just to recap so far, just to recap so far, the, the difference. Once you were strangers, now you're sons and daughters. Once you, you were under death, now you have eternal life. Once you, you were in your carnal nature, your old self, now you have inherited the divine nature. Next one. You have, under, you have known a mega shift in your natural environment, the natural habitat that you dwell in. You have become people who once dwelt in, in darkness spiritually, in a very real way. And now you dwell in the light. You are people of the light. Turn to 1 John 2 and verse 8. It says this, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. But the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is. Sorry, does not know, know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Complete contrast. Black and white, light and dark. You have been moved from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. What I want to draw out of this is, according to John, he's explaining what it's like to live in the darkness. He says the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining, but there are people who still abide in the darkness. And it says, he who walks in darkness, this is in verse 11, he doesn't know where he's going, he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, when you're blinded, 
There's something about spiritual darkness and the spiritual blindness that we have before Jesus opens our eyes, which leaves us aimless and vulnerable. Actually, we don't know where we're going. We can't see the way forward. And we're also just open to... We're vulnerable to falling over stuff, to bumping into stuff, and vulnerable to attack. We can't see anything where it's coming from. We live in a kind of spiritual darkness. But look at verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Something about coming to the light of Jesus means that we are no longer so susceptible to stumbling. We don't fall as easily as we do when we're in the light, when we're in the darkness. And it's something about he who loves his brother. We now look through the, the light of love. Something about loving, the, the love that is awakened in our hearts when we come to faith in Jesus allows us to see clearly. When you see through love, you see as Jesus did. I mean, verse 6 the one who abides in him ought to himself walk in the same way as Jesus walked. Jesus had, he was full of light. He lived in the light. He saw things with open eyes. He could see things that other people couldn't see. He always looked with an incredible perception, but he always looked with the eyes of love. He was able to see things much more clearly because he looked with the eyes of love. He could see the horizon. He could see the terrain. He could see the dangers. He could see the enemies. Spiritually, before God led you into the light of his word and his presence, we were all groping about in the dark. Clueless, aimless. Some of us fearful too. The idea was that we might reach out for him. Turn to Acts 17. And verse 26. This is Paul giving a sermon on Mars Hill. He's trying to speak to, to Greek philosophers. And he says this. God made from one man, one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their, in, of their habitation. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him, and find him. Can anyone identify with that? That before the light of Christ dawned in your life, there, is, there was a groping for something solid, some sort of purpose in my life, something real I could lay hold of, some direction, some, I need to understand where it's all going, I need to understand the road to get there, I want to understand what my life is about. I'm, I'm looking for something, I'm groping about like I'm in the dark. Because at the moment, I haven't got a clue where I'm going and what anything's about. Or I've got no places of reference. I can't see anything that was going to tell me roughly where I am in life and where I'm going. That's how it was for me. I was groping about before I met Jesus. And then when I found him, I clung on for dear life. It was like suddenly there was a, there was a light in my life. It was like a lamp to my feet. And there was a guide in my life. And suddenly, for the first time, I thought, I understand where I'm going, who I am, where I am within this story. And I, I know roughly where the next step is to go. And it's like light goes on in your life. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You begin to see things. And you begin to shine, Jesus. Turn to Romans 14, verse 11. I'm going to wear these Bibles out if we can. Romans 14, verse 11. Sorry, 13. says this, do this knowing the time, that it is already, sorry, Romans 13, 11, do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than, we, than when we believed. 
The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. I believe Paul is saying that live now as you will in the light of heaven. Live now as you will in the light of heaven. Be people of the light. If you can't imagine something you're doing fitting in the light of heaven, it's not right for now either. We are told we can live as people of the light to, point, to the point that Jesus could confidently say, when people see you, they're going to see the light. You are a city on a hill, Jesus said. People can see the light that you live in from a long, long way away. The light is now our natural environment. We no longer feel comfortable in the darkness. Darkness no longer has anything to do with us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, what, what commonalities does light and darkness have? What, what do Christians have to do with wickedness? It says we, we are now completely distinct. We have nothing to do with the other. It's one of the reasons why I hate Halloween. I'm not, I'm not kind of massively, like, you know, against it. I just, I'm just, there's nothing, it has nothing to do with me. And everyone else, you know, the, the town seems to kind of decorate its windows and all the rest of it. And I just think, I have nothing to do with any of this. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. Let's look at, over the page at 12 and verse 5. I want to talk about another shift. Because... We are now people of the light. We live in the light. Our, our lives function best in the light. We're no longer people who need to be afraid of darkness. We, if you need light in your life, just pray to God. Ask him. Say, God, would you show us? Show us what we need to see. Enlighten my life. And another way that God has called us to understand what he's doing and understand how to live and to be enlightened is to come together. This is another mega shift in your life. How we're designed to function. Our environment has changed, but also how we function has changed. We have changed from people who are disconnected into people who are designed to live in the body. And it is when we come together in the body that our light shines the strongest. Let's look at verse 5. So we who are many are one in Christ and individually members of one another. That is another enormous shift. When we receive Christ, we automatically and instinctively received a connectedness to the people of God. That couldn't be more different to before we got saved. The scripture says, listen to this, we are put together, we are joined together, we are built together, we are members together, we are heirs together, we are fitted together, we are held together, and one day we'll be caught up together. You get in the picture. We're designed to be together. I've got all the scriptures for those if you want them at the end. Whether we like it or not, we are called to be together. The Spirit is always guiding people to connect with other believers. You never feel like you're living the full Christian life on your own. You have to connect with other believers. I can't understand why some people would say, I love God, but I just, I just hate the church. Yeah. You know, I can understand how people can say, I've been hurt by church, or I had some bad experiences in church. That happens because we're human, and people have disagreements and they fall out and they blame. But the church as a whole, you can't love God and hate the church. It doesn't work because if you love God and you have the Spirit of God living in your life, there is a love for the church that is just evoked. We are designed to live in community with one another. A great example is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just turn there. Two, Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. These churches of Macedonia are great. You listen to this. 
that in great ordeal of affliction, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty has overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave according to their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favour of participation in the support of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves to God and then they gave themselves to the body. They, they gave everything they had to the people of God. The saved soul is hardwired to give itself to God and to the people of God. And if you don't love the people of God, you've got to question what's going on in your soul. That is a, a, a huge transformation. Especially for those of us who had a dim view of Christians before we got saved. There are people that wouldn't have dreamt to become, to, to develop a love for the people of God and find a home amongst us. Because their life before Christ was, was so different and they looked in on the church from the outside and thought, what a strange bunch of people. Well, some people, you know, thought, oh, you, you know, you're boring, you're, you're strange. Look, if you look around the room, why on earth would all these people be connected? Because we're all so different unless it was for the Spirit of God at work in us, connecting us to one another. There's no other reason, necessarily, that, that we would all be gathered together in this way, in this place. You're all lovely as well, by the way. You know, it's, not, it's not just that the Spirit makes me connect with you guys. But it's true. We are designed for body life. There is something within us that has to connect with everybody else, otherwise we're deficient. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, you are irresistible. <laughs> you, we're drawn to each other. If, if you're sitting next to somebody you quite fancy, that could have been awkward. Sorry about that. Okay, I've got to move fast now. Transformation number six. When you received Christ... Your citizenship in this world also transformed to being, you became citizens of heaven. You are no longer citizens of earth, you will become citizens of heaven. Turn with, to me with, to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18. Doing a lot of scriptures and we're moving quite fast, but it's worth it because we need to see this as a whole. There are so many facets to it. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have our access to one spirit, in one spirit to the Father. Sorry. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. Do you see the contrasts? You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. With the, with the saints and are of God's household. Before you received Jesus, God loved you. He saw you. He was moving as much as he could to get near you. He was trying to speak to you in all kinds of ways. But you were estranged, estranged from heaven. You had nothing to do with heaven. You didn't belong in his house. You were very much citizens of this world. But when you received Jesus, your place of belonging shifted enormously. And our time on this earth became temporary. From now on, your place of belonging is in heaven. Your home is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Turn to John chapter 17. This is Jesus' final prayer. And I just want you to hear where Jesus' place of belonging is and what he's praying for us. John 17 and from verse 13. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that you may have my joy made full 
in yourselves. I have given them your word, and, you, and the world has hated them, because they are, not, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Where is Jesus' place of belonging? It's in heaven. He's about to go home. What a contrast. He's saying, they have, I and they who have believed my word have nothing to do with this world anymore. Their citizenship is in heaven as mine is in heaven. He doesn't belong to this world. He was sent into the world. But he doesn't belong here. His culture, his customs, his language, his thought patterns, his lifestyle is of heaven. Here's the thing. When the people of this world receive the word of God through him, in this respect, they became like him. They became like him. They were no longer citizens of this world. The word he uses is, is sanctify. It means set apart. It means make different. So when the word of God comes into your life, when you receive Jesus for the first time, you become different. You become set apart. You're no longer a citizen of this world. You become set apart for heaven, for a future glory. Your place of belonging shifts enormously. It is like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. You become somebody completely different on the inside. Our place is now somewhere else, heaven. Our culture, our customs, our language, our thought patterns, our lifestyle begin to line up with how it is in heaven. To the point where people notice. Where the people around us react to who we're becoming. And sometimes they don't like it. It says, Jesus says right here, the world hates them because they're not of the world. The, the world hated the disciples. And some of us have had that experience. When we've come to faith in Jesus, and something within us has changed, and we become different, our whole culture and lifestyle and language, everything begins to change, until the people that we live amongst notice, you're not like us anymore. You're not from round here, as they say in Devon. They can kind of feel it and sometimes it's painful because it's hostile because people don't like it they don't like people that are different from them that's just human nature we become foreign to people why don't why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say you're not from round here <laughs> why don't you t- turn to someone else turn to someone else and say your place is with Christ It's a complete change. Complete change. We've gone from being strangers to sons. We've moved from death to life. We've moved from carnal to spiritual. We've been taken from darkness into light. We function no longer as a disconnected person, but we function best in body life, in the church. And we're also people that are no longer of this world, but we are people of heaven. And I can't resist doing one more. And it concerns our standing before God. Once you evoked his wrath, now you evoke his love. It could not be more different. It turns to Romans 5. Romans 5. And verse 9. In fact, let's go from verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Son, much more, having now been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Black and white. Before we received Christ, we were not reconciled to God. The Bible describes us as his enemies. We were inviting his wrath. Though God loves people and has provided everything necessary to be saved and justified, there were those who would just stand defiantly before God and say, I think I'm fine and I'm willing to accept the consequences. And would just look him in the eye and defy him. Turn to John in chapter 3, verse 36. It says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Total contrast. The honour and the love that is there in God bestowing eternal life, choosing for you to spend eternity in his company. He wants to spend not just the day with you, or a year with you, or your life with you, here on this earth. He wants to spend eternity in your presence, enjoying your company. The incredible love and honour of that is contrasted with those who do not obey the Son, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. Compare that, just those two things. Standing before God with God's absolute welcome or standing before God with God's wrath and judgment because you will not receive his grace. It could not be more different. Turn to Ephesians and chapter 2. There's not much more flicking around. You're doing very well. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Thank goodness it goes on to verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The contrast could not be stronger. When a person receives Jesus, they are instantly reconciled to God. From that moment, he does not look upon them with wrath. They become the object of his affection and his love. I love those verses 6 and 7. He raises us up with him. He honours us and seats us with him in the heavenly places. Why? So that in ages to come, he might... Show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. He is now, from that moment when we receive Jesus, he is looking for excuses to bless you. You are the object of his affection. He is looking for reasons to express the glory of his kindness to you. When you stand before him, you never stand condemned again. We know that we are not perfect. We know that we, we stumble and we get things wrong. As far as how we are before God, are standing before God, never again can we feel that God is looking upon us with wrath. He is looking upon us always with kindness and grace. That is really important. Nothing will keep you closer to God than to remember the wrath was my old life. I am now a new creation. As different as a caterpillar is from a butterfly. God looks upon you as the apple of his eye it is so important he wants to lavish his kindness on us we are 
truly the object of his affection. There's a reason why the Bible talks about being born again. Because, can you see, it is, it is so different. The old life from the new is so different. And everything is there, right at the very start. Everything is there in, in potential. It's built into our system the moment we receive Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And we've just got to keep coming back to these truths. We couldn't even begin to grasp the significance of what happened to us when we first got saved. But we have to grasp the significance of what has happened to us for the rest of our Christian lives. Because everything hinges on us being able to understand who we are. Don't let these truths fall away from you. I'm going to go into a time of communion. But I want to go into the time of communion aware of the enormous victory that Jesus has achieved for us. We have been made completely new. We are new creatures in Christ. And all of that has come through Jesus who freely gave himself. He opened the door to the new life. He is the one who sowed his life into the ground and died so that we might spring up anew and fresh. I want to read from 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. You can come with me again if you want. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. Now, this is verse 18. All these things, if I can use this scripture to say all these things that I've been speaking about, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Thank God. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, and we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's paid for our metamorphosis. Everything that was needed to take you and your inner world and your inner life, your soul, from the old man and the old woman to the new man and the new woman. Everything that was needed was paid for at great cost by Jesus of Nazareth. And he did it willingly because he saw the end product. He saw who you were going to become. And he had his eyes fixed on who you were going to become as you received Jesus. And because of that, he was willing to endure. It is all in him. To him is all the glory. Amen. And I want to read what Jesus said just before he went to the cross. When he was gathered with his people, just like you and me, in the upper room. It says this in Luke's Gospel. It says, When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table with the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, This, my body, is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup after they'd eaten and saying, this, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. 
an amazing self-giving act where Jesus knowing exactly what it was going to cost him was able to sit with his nearest and dearest and say I am willing I am going to give up my body and I'm going to pour out my blood because I have a transformation that I need to secure in each of you he looked over their heads and he saw us. And these words are ours as much as they, they were theirs. Jesus took the bread. said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood everything is new drink from it all of you in remembrance of me and Paul says as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread you proclaim his death you proclaim it you, you champion what he has done in your life until he comes and that's what we're going to do this morning we're going to finish with just breaking bread together, sharing communion together and just proclaiming everything that Christ has done in your life and anything that I've said that has spoken to you, think I need to come back to that truth and I need to receive it afresh. I want to encourage you as you come to the table receive him. Receive Jesus afresh that the life of God, the new life that butterfly in you might come forth again and be strong. So I'm going to invite the band to come up first. We've got two tables here. And I want to invite the servers to come up. And um, come when you're ready. And we're just going to finish with a little bit of time of worship and doing business with God. We're going to receive communion. And then we're going to have a little bit of time just to, to do some business with the Lord before we finish. Do come when you're ready.